joining me as usual is my co-host Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you this evening? Good. I'm ready to talk about this three and ten Royals team. Yeah, it is pretty exciting. Uh, <laughs> they did finally get off the Schneid, so we will talk about all that here in just a minute. Also joining us is Jeremy. Uh, I guess I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Is it Greco or Greco? Greco. Greco. Okay. Better known as Hokaius. And yeah, we're going to reveal his real name. That's not that big of a surprise. But Jeremy, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing awesome. Uh, later on, we're going to veer off the topic of baseball a little bit and discuss the upcoming season of Game of Thrones. But first, we're going to discuss something a little bit more depressing and dark than Game of Thrones. That is the Kansas City Royals. The season's off to a rough start. They've lost 10 in a row. They finally did snap their losing streak on Saturday. Uh, but it's been a rough start. They're 3-10 and 10 going into uh, our recording here on Saturday. Uh, Jeremy, is this streak kind of... Should it be that unexpected? I mean, we knew this team wasn't going to be contender going into this season. Uh, is this kind of what they are, or is this maybe just like an unusually bad stretch of baseball for them? The the weird thing isn't so much that they lost 10 games to me. It's just how they've lost the 10 games. It was it was pretty much with a consistently bad bullpen. I think there was there was one or two games in there where the bullpen was good and the, and the rotation or the, the offense failed, but... Pretty much it's been just bad bullpen, bad bullpen, bad bullpen. Well, the starting rotation did pretty good, and the hitters did pretty good. And it was it was really, I think it, that made it more frustrating than it might have otherwise been because ever it's the beginning of the year, and everyone has you know a little bit of hope, and everyone's looking around going, well, the lineup's doing okay, and the rotation's doing okay. What the heck is the deal with the bullpen? But I don't, I don't, I don't think it's otherwise much of a surprise that they've lost ten games. It's just the how to me. Yeah, and I was, I did a piece about like the former, you know, ten game losing streaks or more in Royals history, and the margin of being outscored in this one was much, much less. I mean, there was one losing streak where they got outscored by like sixty runs over ten games. I mean, there were streaks where they just were getting blown out. This one, yeah, there was those games where there was a lot closer. They were leading in four or five of those games uh, after six innings. So, Sean, I think the temptation usually is like to say, well, if we had just, you know, had a decent bullpen in those four or five games, you know, we'd be like five hundred. Is there maybe hope for Royals fans that this team is actually better than the three and ten start they've they've gotten off to a start with, or or is this maybe masking some other problems that are deeper and and, and we there are going to be an issue all season long? Yeah, you know I think uh, and, and Randy Jazarelli uh, had a tweet about this maybe yesterday or two days ago um, that. Yeah, I, I'm to summarize it. It was basically that they aren't as bad as you know they necessarily look. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I, I buy that. Just, just because, like, I mean, yeah, we knew we knew the bullpen was going to be bad. Um, my Fangraphs had, had them projected as the only negative and the worst bullpen by a mile um, going into the season to begin with. But I mean, like, a lot of people will take hope, I suppose, or they'll they'll look at it. I don't mean someone who, I, if I had a sword, it would be Hope Crusher um, would be the name of it. But. Um, <laughs> But I don't want to, I want to, I'm trying to say, but I think a lot of people will look at the runs scored and think like, oh, you know, if we just had a good bullpen or maybe the pitching was a little bit better, um, you know, the offense is scoring whatever, five, six runs a game. But I mean, if you look up, if you look at the lineup um, out there, as far as what they're, they're rolling out on a consistent basis, I mean, other than guys, other than really Merrifield and Mondesi to an extent, you know, Gordon uh, rebounding. I mean, you're running out as far as, let me see, and I'm pulling it up right here. Um, I mean, you've got, so Larry's hitting fine, 105 WRC plus, but I mean, no defensive value at all. Uh, He's been replacement level. You've got 23 WRC plus Chris Owens, Maldonado with a 41, Hamilton with a 43, O'Hearn's a 94, um, and then Bozier's somehow propped up a 104. So, I mean, like you're, you've still got a whole slew of guys who are either decidedly below average hitters, um, below average, or maybe right around average. So I think the runs scored <clears throat> are actually masking a bit how well or how maybe bad the offense is. Um, I mean, because think about it: for the every single game this year, they've had a hitter in Merrifield get on base, um, and you know we know that getting on base increases the run scored in that inning. So I think that it, I, I think that the the team is probably. It's tough to think of any team as a 300 uh, or 0.300 winning percentage, um, a 30% winning 
percentage team, but I do think that the team is not it is not just you know a good bullpen away. Yeah, and I think some people you know look, it's first of all it's thirteen games, so it's hard to really take too much. Uh, and extrapolated over thirteen game, you know, from thirteen games. Um, you know, the offense I think has played fine. Um, I, do I expect it to play all this well all season long? Yeah, probably not. There's going to be some slumps and some months where they don't hit hit, hit very well. Uh, they have been scoring about league average and runs scored. Uh, you know, I think you're right a little bit in that. You know, it's, it hasn't been very even. At least the distribution of offensive performance has been very uneven in the lineup. Uh, but overall, they've been uh, they have a 94 weighted runs created plus uh, for the year, which is you know a little bit below average. Which you know for a Orioles team that that'll play usually. You know that's kind of where they are at best case scenario. So you know I, the offense has played okay. Uh, the starting pitching, I think people I think people have kind of low, really low expectations for the starting pitching, and maybe you know for a good reason. Uh, but starting pitching hasn't been that good. I think Brad Keller has kind of. Um, uh, been so good that we've kind of overlooked how not great the rest of the rotation has been. I mean, overall, they have a starting pitching ERA of 4.92. Uh, the FIP has been a lot better, 4.11. So that's, uh, you know, pretty decent. But, you know, it's basically Brad Keller pitching really well, uh, Jake Junis pitching okay, Jorge Lopez look showing some signs but being pretty inconsistent. And then you're not getting really anything from Homer Bailey and Heath Fillmeyer. And, you know, the thing so far is that they've gotten to pitch – Keller so much because of all these off days, so you've kind of you haven't had to throw your fifth starter out there that much. Uh, but the thing is, that there's just no depth, you know, in that rotation. So that's going to be a problem all year long. So, you know, I'm still in kind of wait and see because it's so early in the year. Uh, and the other thing is, the bullpen is going to be an issue all year long. And there's not, it's not like you know, Wade Davis is walking through that door. I mean, that's if it's a if it's, if it's an issue in the first two weeks of the year, it's going to be an issue probably all season long. Like you said, it projected to be the worst in the in the league. So um, I don't see any help coming. Yeah, along, along and I want to add that you're right about that. And I didn't even think about that. You're right about the Brad Keller thing about him being used the most, given the opportunity with the off days. Because um, if you look at the leaders in any pitch this year, it's um, Marco Gonzalez, Brad Keller, um, uh, Kikuchi, Mike Fires, and then uh, uh, Jose Barrios, and then Marco Estrada. And so one, two, three, four of them are Mariners and Athletics who have played three games more than anybody else. And then there's Brad Keller who's tied with Gonzalez um, for the most innings pitch. So, yeah, that is that is a big thing. We've just gotten used to seeing Brad Keller who has however many more innings than the next best guy um, on the on the team, at least, the next – 17 for Lopez, so he's almost got a full game or maybe a little bit more um, above him. Yeah, and the bullpen, you know, like I said, it, it's it's there's not a lot of hope that it's going to get um, that they're we're going to get improved performances out out of um, some of these guys. Although I don't expect them to have like an eight, you know, ERA of eight all year, but they probably will struggle all season long. But perhaps one bright hope that can help stabilize that bullpen a little bit uh, is a guy that we we saw make his major league debut this week, Richard Lovelady. Uh, looked pretty impressive in his first outing, throwing a scoreless uh, outing. Um, Sean, I know you've been a big supporter of Richard Lovelady for a while. What did you see out of his um, debut, and what do you, what do you kind of expect from him going forward? Yeah, it was really weird because um, according to Baseball Savant or Statcast, um, I don't think he threw a fastball. They call it a sinker slider. Um, that like pitch FX has it as a fastball, but whatever it was, um, I think it worked pretty well. Um, it, it, I think it was mid 94 or so. I think he touched, touched 95. Um, so yeah, I mean, I like love lady at least. I mean, he's not, like you said, he's not Wayne Davis walking through the door. So, and it's tough to ask for that to begin with, but I think love lady works as far as someone that you can realistically expect to be around because I mean, we, we know what Kevin McCarthy is. Um, we know what Willie Peralta is. I mean, I think we kind of get that. So if there's any upside, uh, in the bullpen or at least someone that you can maybe be excited to see, um, it's going to be love lady. Yeah. And I th- I, what I like from him is that he does, he has a very nice fluid delivery. Like he's not, he's not like kind of a max effort, herky jerky delivery kind of yeah. guy who, who you would kind of be worried is going to land yeah. on the injured list pretty pretty soon. He, he's got a really. It doesn't really look like he's even throwing that hard. And then you look at the radar gun. It says ninety four, ninety five, and yeah. his slider looked pretty impressive. That it really bo- bears in on uh, right handed hitters and has some pretty good move, late action on it. So yeah, um, and I'm worried. I'm not that I'm worried, but I, I don't. I don't think they're going to do this. Um, but I'm worried that they might. That um, they're going to relegate him to lefties, like being a lefty only, like mm-hmm. a loogie. 
um, which, I mean, he had fine splits in the minors. He actually, if I recall right, he actually pretty good splits in the minors against righties. I mean, he wasn't dominant against righties the way he was against lefties, but he doesn't seem like necessarily going to have to be someone um, that's going to, you know, have to only be a a lefty only guy um, given the side. I think the slider has a reverse platoon splits, I think. Um, so that should hopefully work out. Well, I was actually wondering if, he, if they go in the opposite direction, uh, Jeremy, in that, you know, he there's not a lot of good answers out there right now in the bullpen. You know, how long is it going to be before we start seeing him get, like, save opportunities? Uh, because, you know, Broxberger hasn't been pitching well. Peralta hasn't really been pitching well. Uh, I, I don't know if Ian Kennedy is the, the, going to be the, getting more, more save opportunities, but it could be, you know, might not be too long before we see Lovelady getting those opportunities. Do you think they, they're going to start turning to him more? I I wouldn't surprise me at all to see him uh, start getting those relatively soon, assuming, of course, that the Royals can find some save opportunities to offer him. Uh, so you got to start there. But um, I I the one thing I do want to say about Boxberger is I think he might be pitching a little bit better than we're giving him credit for. I, I think he might be, have an opportunity to bounce back a little bit. I, I look at his numbers. He's striking out a ton of guys. Um, and uh, he's he's just – he's got a crazy BABIP of almost 500. And I wonder if he might bounce back. But he is having some bad results right now. And it would not surprise me at all to see Love Lady start looking at some save opportunities relatively soon. Assuming, again, like I said, the Royals can find some to give him. Yeah, I'm kind of uh... – high on Boxberger I think he can bounce back a little bit um and and I I think he'll eventually and if, if I think by the end of the year you'll look back and he'll have the most saves uh but it wouldn't surprise me if Lovelady does get a couple opportunities now he has to be in the circle of tr- Ned's circle of trust which Kyle Zimmer didn't seem to be in and maybe they oh. kind of baby Lovelady a little bit because he's a rookie but um uh you know there may be a point where they just can't can't really uh not use him in games, uh, especially when they have close close leads. Um, we should talk a little bit about the roster construction because I think it came into play in the last game of the losing streak when they lost that game that they were one out away from uh, winning against the Mariners. And, uh, you know, Billy Hamilton has to drift back on a ball. It was, it was a windy day. It was a tough play, a tougher play than I think people realize. And he gets hurt on the play, drops the ball. And uh, it opens the floodgates and the Royals end up losing. But in that game, the Royals end up losing their DH because Hamilton had to exit the game. Hamilton had entered the game as a defensive replacement for Terrence Gore. So they were left a little bit short on their bench. And so Lucas Duda had to enter the game as a first baseman. Uh, and and then they had to move uh, Whitmerfield, or was it Chris Owings out to center? Whitmerfield out to center field and Jorge yeah. Soler out to right field, which cost them their DH. So, you know, Jeremy, it seems like carrying a first base only bat in Lucas Duda may actually be hurting their roster construction right now. Uh, what, how long can they carry Duda on this roster? Is it going to be a point where they just can't really afford to keep that kind of a player on their bench? I, I kind of feel like they've reached that point. I, if they're not willing to do it now, then when they've got Chris Owings in center field uh, right now uh, for the second time in a row. And I, I've never heard of Chris Owings. I, I know I heard that his outfield defense was probably better than his infield defense, but center field? And then Jorge Soler's in right field. And gosh, that feels like you don't have any outfield depth at all. I mean, not, the, the other thing you have to think about is not only are they carrying a first base only in Lucas Duda, but Terrence Gore, as far as anyone can tell, He's listed as an outfielder, but no one really wants to play him. They just want him to run. And, I mean, he did get those couple of starts, but uh, and he had that really good night, um, whichever whichever night, yeah. Wednesday night, I think it was. And then yeah. Thursday it was back to, oh, yeah, there's Terrence Gore, um, which sucks because he, he seems like a good guy. The, the swings he took on whenever it was Thursday, the day after his three-hit game, were – I have to say, probably some some of the worst swings I've ever seen a major league hitter take. Almost like pitcher wise swings, like when Kelvin Herrera had to bat. Well, and, and, uh, which is interesting because, like the night before on his last at bat, when they were they were playing way in on him, I mean, he put a pretty good charge in the ball and hit the ball over the left fielder's yeah. head. I mean, that was probably more power than I or anyone else was really expecting out of him. Uh, Sean, do you think he should get a little bit of playing time just to see like what he can do, or is it is he kind no. of just a gimmick? 
he can't hit. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I hate to rule a guy out automatically, like not even give him a shot, but he he can't hit. It's it's you don't put up whatever his career. Uh, now I have to go look it up. Uh, whatever his career WRC plus was, and I think it's I thought it was like a seventy or something. Minor league uh, WRC plus. Hold on, I'll have it in twenty seconds. But yeah, I mean, no, I don't think that he um, is a guy that. There's so many other guys like Brett Phillips or Starling that I'd rather give a shot to than have to mess around with a guy that, I mean, I think we all feel fairly safe that he, uh, 78, occurs 78 WRC plus uh, in the minors. And inclu- uh, that, that includes negative 18 for the Cubs after he got traded last year in their triple A. Yeah. No. I mean, yes. So I think, we're, I think we've, I, I think we, we know what Corey is and it's not like he's 21 or yeah. something. Well, one guy that is actually kind of smoking the ball right now is Hunter Dozier. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. There's actually a piece at Beyond the Box Score, a really good piece, uh, when Dozier was struggling, um, talking about how he was among the league leaders in exit velocity. He has a much better launch angle this year. And sure enough, like, I think it was that night, he hits a 450-foot bomb uh, for a home run. And he's been actually hitting the ball really well all season. Kind of ran into some bad luck early on. But, uh, Jeremy, like... What do you see with Hunter Dozier? You wrote a little bit about him in your piece th- this weekend. Um, is he kind of coming into his own this year? And is and what do you kind of expect from him? Well, uh, I think we saw last year, uh, the last couple of months, he started to put it together when they finally let him play third base, which is his natural position. It's been the position he spent most of his time professionally at. And he was playing every day. And so they kind of gave him an opportunity to be a little bit more comfortable. He'd moved away. Um, he had some kind of injury. He'd had all kinds of injuries in, was it, it was 2017. He had all kinds of injuries, right? And so maybe he wasn't as prepared for 2018 as he would have liked to be. And so there's lots of, lots of excuses you can throw out there for him. Uh, and then, but he did seem to put it together late in the year. And then he comes in this year and he wasn't getting the results early on, but it, like you said, they had that article, and I went and I was looking Wednesday because uh, commenter Grantastica pointed out that he thought he'd been hitting the ball really hard just right at people. And, I mean, when I looked, he had a 9% uh, soft hit rate, which is just, like, unheard of. And and then, like you said, sure enough, he just started crushing the ball. And it's – it's I, I don't think he's going to necessarily be, like – hitting homers every day like he has the past couple of days but i think he'll be he'll be pretty good uh, well not necessarily pretty good but i think he's got a chance to be uh, a, a decent starting third baseman at least hey sean i noticed that kelvin Gutierrez at omaha is off to just like a, a torrid start um he's in like 400 with a couple of home runs uh he's always been known as like a plus defender at that position where dozier i think um you know i think still we have mixed results of on, on him defensively at third base so i how do you see third base kind of working out for the Royals over the next year or two? I mean, is it is it Dozier's position to lose, or do you think he'll have a short leash with Gutierrez kind of breathing down his neck? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question because I feel like I feel like the organization still hasn't ruled out Chester Cuthbert just mm-hmm. yet entirely. Um, so like, there's that toss up of yeah, Gutierrez and then Cuthbert, um, and then you know when Lopez comes up, well then where do you put Merrifield? Because um, maybe he plays a little bit of third uh, because the outfield. Ha- so I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's been really decided, and it, hopefully they take the let's just let it play out. And um, you know, because right now the priority is needs to be Dozier, um, and if you know he doesn't, if the 13 games so far end up being a mirage and i'll say he, he has 104 wrc plus so it's not like he's absolutely killing it but yes um part of it is some bad ball uh bad luck but um i, I think that the priorities go with dozier first see what happens and then roll from there if you think lopez is ready then you know maybe call him up and maybe move merrifield over to third um or you know or if, you know lopez isn't ready uh then you try gutierrez i think that i think there really at least are some options um but i think it's we're still at like hey nobody is like we don't have vlad jr hanging out seeing so like okay let's just let's call him up we know who we want we i think there still needs to be some shaking out would you say that we have a third base tree at this point um more of a bush i think it's more of a third base <laughs> bush uh but no i that i think that i think a third base i think to have a third base tree you have to have actually several good options and i think uh 
if you don't have any good op, you know, if you if you are still trying to figure out who to who to play, then I don't think you have any good options. What's kind of your uh, thought on Dozier's defense? Because I don't, I guess I characterize it as mixed results. That's kind of my what I've gotten from him so far. But what's what's kind of your eye yeah. and what do the metrics say so far? I mean, he's he's a little more. I think he's a little more athletic than maybe he looks like he is. Um, cause, I mean, he's kind of like a stiffer guy mm-hmm. in the box. Um, but I, I do think that, I mean, obviously he has a really great arm and he played shortstop in college. Um, so, I mean, I think it's been, yeah, I, I think it's been fair. Um, the defensive numbers, I think have had him, um, not awful at least. Uh, so I, uh, yeah, I, I think it's been fine. I mean, it's nothing absolutely horrible. There's no reason he should be third base. He's not like he's Cuthbert out there. Um, and, and looking at it here, yeah, they had him last year. They had him as negative six DRS. This year, he's plus two. Wow. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know which sample size to make. I think it probably somewhere in the middle. Um, so just call him an average defender, third, which for his size, um, I think that that's great. Uh, you know, he, he's not Jose Ramirez. We, we should before we end uh, on talking about the Royals, we should also probably congratulate Whit Merrifield for setting the franchise record with a thirty-one game hitting streak. Actually. Uh, kind of broke the the club record held by George Brett uh, set back in 1980 with kind of an exciting uh, bunt single uh, to score a run. Uh, kind of exemplified a little bit of what Mer- what Merrifield uh, is as, as a hitter, kind of a guy that's willing to do whatever it takes to get on base or uh, via hit. Um, so, Sean, I know you've been a little critical of uh, maybe the the split season hitting streak. It started actually last September. Uh, do you want to make your case on 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 his hitting streak? No, I don't know. Like, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm mixed on it because, like, I wouldn't call a winning streak. I wouldn't call winning the last three games of the season than winning the first three a six game winning streak. Um, but, you know, Jacob DeGrom had that ridiculous, whatever it was, 30 game quality start streak or whatever that just got broken up. So, I mean, I'm hit and miss. Like, I, I, I get it. Like, I do think it's, I think it's more impressive if he had like all 30 or, th- or 31 consecutively to start a season, um, because at least you get some continuity and you know, it's, it's basically all the same around. And, um, cause I've saw one argument and, uh, that, you know, you've got four or five months of off season just to kind of refresh and everything. Yeah. To counter that, you've kind of got to get back in the groove of things. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I'm okay with it. I can live with it. I think at first I, I was still undecided and I think I am still, but um, I, I can live with it. I don't think an asterisk needs to be put next to it necessarily. Yeah, I think when I was critical, that's probably pretty too harsh. But you did raise, you know, the point that it was a split season hitting streak, and you know, like you said, I think you bring up some good points about how it benefits him and how it doesn't benefit him. It actually works against him. And and you know, Jeremy, I, you know, I think if he had approached uh, Joe DiMaggio's record, I think people would have made uh, a distinction. And I think you know, officially, baseball, I believe, does make that distinction but in your mind like what does 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 a 31 game hitting streak mean anything or is it just kind of like a lucky lucky month that what Merrifield had or any other hitter has uh when they when they get hot I whether it's split across seasons or not getting a hit 31 games in a row is pretty dadgum impressive to me um just I was thinking about today because uh, part of that hawk talk that I had this morning was about uh, was about Maldonado's framing and and how umpires how much effort they have to put into figuring out whether the the ball was a strike or not. And then I was thinking about you know that applies to the hitters too and how it's impo- It seems like it should be impossible for anyone to ever get a hit. Mm-hmm. But then this one guy gets a hit thirty one games in a row, whether it's split across seasons or not. I don't care. That's that's impressive to me. I'm impressed. And I think also the pressure starts to get to you after a while because you, you're, you're very, you know, aware of it. And baseball players, you know, are super superstitious. And uh, the game that he ended his streak, of course, he 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 was up four times. And then they're like, well, we don't know if he'll get up another time in this game. And he ends up getting another at-bat. And then the yeah. bullpen blows it. And he gets a sixth at-bat in extra innings and still can't get a hit. And I feel like oh, he, he was probably six? yeah he got I six hits five. or six at bats oh, okay. yeah yeah uh, yeah. Uh, and I feel like he was probably pressing a little bit because he was like well this is my opportunity I gotta kind of get a hit here or it's over and you know understandably that would be very difficult to try to get a hit it's like you say it's hard enough to get a hit anyway and then to get a hit knowing that if you don't get a hit that your your streak is over and 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 you know it. It's kind of a, it's not like the most important thing in the world. It's not as important as winning, but it is a very cool thing to do. And he, his name is in the record books. 
uh, whether it's a split, you know, split season streak or not, uh, it's going to be up there. It's going to be listed among you know the top uh, hitting streaks of all time, and so it is a pretty cool thing. What is interesting is if you, if you if you look at the guys that have the, the highest hitting streaks, there are a lot of good hitters up there, but it's not like uh, it's not like names. If you if you were to like guess. You need to know who who is uh, who had the longest hitting streaks in baseball. You would guess like Tony Gwynn, or you know, uh, uh, I would guess Itro Suzuki or Rod Carew, and none of those guys are anywhere in the top you know twenty five. And Dan Dan Ugly is, and he's not. He's yeah. like the last yeah. guy I would have ever predicted would be on a hitting streak list, and somehow he got hot for a month. And and I, I'm guessing yeah. a lot of those hits were home runs. Yeah, and Joe DiMaggio's brother isn't he up there? Or yeah, something? yeah. Well, he was actually a really solid player too. Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah, I mean, he was an. I was thinking. I was thinking about Merrifield. At least he went down swinging. You know, yeah. like I. At least yeah. he didn't just get called out looking. He he. He took his cuts. I, yeah. I think, Go ahead, Jeremy. I was just gonna say, I think I think Max is definitely on to something with Wit putting some pressure on himself. I know I read some article, an article somewhere that was, uh, uh, basically that he was he was completely aware of the streak at all times, mm-hmm. knew it was happening, and planning to make it continue. And it seemed to me like he was he was uh, his body language was just a little bit more tense with every at bat um, in that game on Thursday. So I definitely I definitely buy that he was he was putting more pressure on himself. Um, I, I will I and I tweeted this out. I will go to my grave that that Yon Moncada error or single on that was an error. That's the only that's the only <laughs> issue I have with the streak is that. That was absolutely an error, but it was at home. That's the only the only thing I have an issue with. There. Well, the, the, also, the, you think about how, how hard it is to get hits now. I mean, batting average was like at an all time low last year. You think about how ungodly crazy these pitchers throw now. Uh, yeah. You know, the Whit Merrifield is considered to be like a high contact hitter, and he still has a sixteen percent strikeout rate. Joe DiMaggio's he had like a four percent strikeout rate in his whole career, which is just absurd these days. You know, compared to what the guys do now. And you think about like mm-hmm. even if you do put the ball in play, think about like shifts and defensive shifts and how good the defensive defenders are now. And like you know, back in nineteen forty one, not to put any, you know not to downplay what Joe DiMaggio did because it was incredible. But uh, you know, the, the defenders weren't quite what we we have now. They didn't have the same equipment. Uh, so you know, really, to, to get even to thirty-one is is pretty remarkable feat in, in in this modern era, I think. And two things: one, uh, Barry Bonds' longest hit streak is fifteen games. I just looked it up, and Trout's is seventeen. So he almost had double. I mean, maybe two of the best hitters in our generation. Um, and then, if there's any player out there right now that would break uh, DiMaggio's streak, who do you guys think it is? I'll hold mine back. I want to hear who you guys think first. So the conventional wisdom has always been it's got to be a left-handed hitter because they would have a step closer to first base to get down the line and beat out an infield single. It would have to be someone pretty fast, and it'd probably have to be someone who puts the ball in play a lot. So to me, I thought Ichiro Suzuki was your best bet. And like I said, he I think his longest hitting streak was like 28. So in today's game, whew, yeah, I don't know. Um, Jeremy, do you have a, a thought? I with all the strikeouts that everyone gets on the launch angles and trying to hit for trying to get walks or hit for power and not even trying to get singles. I, I can't imagine it happening. I'm going to throw mine out here. Williams, a studio. <laughs> a studio. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, right? he, isn't he hit? Is he still hitting over like 600 or is he, is he cooled um, off a little bit? Pulling up right now. But he's, he, he's the, he's the twins catcher who never strikes out and never walks. So he does put the ball in play a lot. So that yep. that'd be a key right there, I think. He's got yeah. a three point eight percent walk rate, three point eight percent strikeout rate. He's hitting three forty eight, dude. He's uh, it just a, just freakish. Can you imagine if he did it? He would just captivate the nation with his yeah. pants, his flow, flowing hair, his yeah. his tubby tubby belly sticking out. Yeah, he he barely struck out last year either in yeah. thirty games. Dude, wow. it's it's amazing. He yeah, I, I would love that. That would, that would be great for the game if that happened. He's He's yeah. not really, and the funny thing is, he's not really like that good of a player overall. Which is what's funny is that it's like, all right, I mean, you know, he's he's just so great. Uh, not, yeah, I love him. <laughs> well, I'd love I, I to think see I found a new guy Eclectic. to follow. That's the word I was going to say. Yeah, I Eclectic. think if yeah, if you think if you if you want to cheer for a non-Royals player, Williams Astudio of the Twins is is probably the one of the more fun young players. Uh, and yeah, he's not. I mean, he bounced around. He's this is like his third or fourth organization. I don't. He, yeah. I don't know how teams just didn't want to give him a shot or what. But uh, he's he's getting a shot at the Twins now, and he's he's kind of a fun player to watch. But uh, 
Yeah, so anyway, congrats to Witt. It was an impressive achievement. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe he can go on a 56-57 game hitting streak later on this year and carry the Royals to victory. So. And then no one can put any asterisks on it or That's complain right. about it. And he would have the record all by himself. We'll take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk Game of Thrones just for a little bit, uh, take our minds off baseball. So stick with us. We'll be right back. All right. Well, so uh, we wanted to take our minds off baseball just for a little bit. Um, all three of us are big Game of Thrones fans. If you're not a fan of the show and you don't, or you don't want to hear spoilers, because there's going to be a lot of spoilers here coming up in the next, uh, whatever, 20, 30 minutes we end up talking, uh, you can just end the podcast now and join us again next week when we discuss, we get back to Royals baseball. But for those of you that are Game of Thrones fans, or at least want to listen to a bunch of guys talk about it, um, Game of Thrones, the season eight premiere, the last season is coming up this weekend. We have not watched it yet. So as I said, we're recording on Saturday. So just to pick up where we left off, um, the Night King has breached the wall, um, and he's coming down with his um, his whites, his White Walkers, uh, and he has with him a zombie dragon that he's gotten from uh, Daenerys, and which now in retrospect seems like kind of a bad, maybe a bad decision that they brought a dragon up to fight the, the Night King, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, Jon Snow is headed up there. Uh, he's going north with Daenerys. Uh, he is he's going to have an army of his uh, Winterfell troops, also the Wildlings. And uh, we also he tried to convince uh, Cersei and Jaime Lannister that they need to kind of put their grievances behind them and fight for the bigger cause that is to fight the White Walkers. Uh, Cersei agreed to a truce, although it doesn't seem like she's probably going to follow through with it. But Jaime Lannister was convinced, and he's headed up there as well. Um, he uh, they also have uh, with them. Uh, da- Daenerys's army, which is composed com- comprised of the Dothraki, uh, some of her true believers like Ser Davos and Tyrion Lannister, uh, and the Unsullied as well. And so, uh, and we also we have uh, Euron Greyjoy, who has had his proposal to uh, Cersei rejected, but he uh, said he's going to come back with a gift, and he's headed over to Essos to uh, bring back the Golden Company, which is a mercenary army, to try to change her mind. And so conceivably, he's going to be, uh, in, uh, he's going to come back with his army, and, and, and we'll see what happens with that. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the Starks, the rest of the Stark family, which is Arya at this point, and Sansa are up in Winterfell. They have successfully plotted uh, and killed Littlefinger, and they're accompanied by their brother Bran, who is now the Three-Eyed Raven. And oh yes, uh, the Three-Eyed Raven and uh, Samwell Tarly have discovered the true lineage of, of uh, Jon Snow, and that is he is actually a Targaryen. He is the son of uh, Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark, who is Ned's sister, and so he could have a claim to the throne. And also, by the way, he consummated his relationship with Daenerys, which means uh, he slept with his aunt. So uh, what's interesting to me is that there are odds on who's going to take the Iron Throne at the end of the series, and it's, I'm always really intrigued by non-sports prop bets because someone out there knows the answer to this, and I don't, I don't know what rules there are against the, that person putting down a large wager. I'm sure that would send oh, red yeah. flags, but um, someone knows the answer to this. But um, there are odds on who will rule the Iron Throne at the end of Game of Thrones. So here are some of the odds here. Oddly enough, I thought Jon Snow would be the favorite. He's actually not the favorite. It's Bran Stark at 220. Uh, so what? you'd have to you'd have to bet a hundred dollars, uh, or, or you'd have to bet a hundred dollars to get two twenty, uh, followed by Jon Snow at three fifty. Sansa Stark is third at five hundred. Daenerys Targaryen, Dar- Daenerys Targaryen is, is at plus seven hundred. Gendry, who is the uh, the bastard son of Robert Baratheon, is at plus seven hundred. And then this is another odd one: is Peter Baelish is at plus one thousand. Peter Baelish is, is Littlefinger. He's dead. Yeah. At least at least from what we know. Uh, also at plus one thousand is the Night King and Tyrion Lannister. So uh, this makes me think that somebody. This makes me think that they know, like the right. that it is going to be Bran, because like the only re- way he would be the odds-on favorite is if someone placed enough money on him that would make him the odds-on favorite. It doesn't even make any sense to me. Yeah, whoa. Like he, he's okay. not. He's not trying to get the throne. He no. seems like he's above those kind of things. The one, He's a tree. The one theory I've heard is that uh, Bran is a, um, I forget the term now, but, you know, he can assume animal. The he possesses animals. He can possess animals. And so... A warg? Uh, uh, what yeah, they call him? Warg. A warg. Uh, and so the theory is he can either warg into the Night King and the Night King becomes the, sits on the Iron Throne, or he is the Night King because... 
Bran can go through space and time. Yeah, I've and, heard that theory before. Yeah, and so he somehow, you know, in some sort of time loop, is the Night King, and the Night King is victorious. So if that happens, I don't know if you win the bet, if you're, you know, they pay out if, it, if, it's, if it's Bran and the Night King, maybe, in that respect. I don't know, but that's the only theory yeah. I've heard that makes any kind of sense. But Bran on itself doesn't. Do you guys have, like, a top three um, choices that you think could end up with the with the Iron Throne? Mm. Go ahead, Jeremy, if you've got... If you, if you've got. I... Uh, my money is kind of on Sansa at this point. She's my top choice because mm. I just feel like she's got the best head for ruling out of all of them. Um, especially last season, they seemed to be kind of... Uh, Daenerys had you know done a lot of things that made people really like her as a potential ruler, but the last season they really seemed to be pushing this idea that maybe she was uh, not particularly stable. Um and could be could be a problematic leader. Uh so Sansa's kind of where I'm leading. I, I think maybe Daenerys and John will both will both die uh during the battle. obviously a lot of people are gonna die, so that's not a crazy guess. I I I'm not even really sure who all could could rule at that after that. I don't think it's gonna be Gendry, because I think they're gonna get away from the the idea of I mean, at that point, you're talking about a cousin's, a cousin to the royal line's bastard, is going to be ruling the country, and that just with an, all these other people, it seems like somebody in a better position of power or somebody with a better claim would would find a way to take it. I mean, they could all die, but how many people have to die before Gendry's in position? And he was like gone for like two seasons. I mean, it would be weird, I think, to have such you know, he's not a minor fig- figure, but it's like we haven't really gotten to know him that well. And he just pops it, up then, and takes the Iron Throne. That would be kind of odd, I think. I yeah. think he, he had a larger role. I, it's been a while since I read the books. I think he had a larger role in the books. And that may... You could make the argument that maybe they, they were like, oh, well, we don't need him. And then they're like, oh, crap. He's supposed to be the one who's ruling the country right. at the end. So we got to bring him back now. So you could make that argument, I guess. I, I still don't see it, though. John, did you have a did you have a favorite, you think? Or? Um, I like this. I, I really... I like Sansa a lot. Um... Mainly because, and I know, like with George R. R. Martin's um, whole thing, is that it's like all the sappy, feel-good stuff pretty much is non-existent. Um, right. But I like the idea, at least, of Sansa. You know, when she was young and she wanted to marry um, the prince or wanted to marry the king, so that she could, you know, be queen. That you know, that really died, and all this shit that she's gone through with all these husbands she's had, or you know, when she had Joffrey, then she had Tyrion, and now she's kind of wandering aimlessly. Um, you know, she kind of had Littlefinger almost. So it just was like all this stuff that she's gone through all this time. I think there is a there would be a lot of good um, good to come out of it if she ended up you know being the one that sits on it, just because like she's always wanted it. Now, um, I, I, I that would be my guess. I don't know if I I don't know if like that's one that I'm gonna fully go on and I think is right, but that's the one that I think I'd like to see the most. Um, so I'm gonna go with Sansa. I'm gonna go hard under on. Um, oh, this is that's really gonna be weird. That's what she said. I'm gonna go hard under on Daenerys. I don't think she's gonna do it at all. Um, same thing with uh, uh, John. I think they. Yeah, they're I too they obvious. Both, yeah, I think they both die. Well, John seems uh, really obvious, but I think so. John seems really obvious. I think that would be like the fans' choice, and I think your guys are right that like they. They've kind of been foreshadowing, like, oh, this isn't going to have a happy ending. Like, I mean, don't they literally say, like, if you think this ends well, you're, you, you haven't been paying attention? Yeah. Like, I, it, they're kind of telegraphing that. So that makes me think that maybe John dies in, this, in a move of self-sacrifice to give Daenerys the throne or help her get to the throne. And she does assume, uh, assume the Iron Throne or uh, it's, it's their offspring, who, which, you know, like I said, they consummated their... Their main, their relationship. Yeah. With the only problem with that is that that you know we we're not going to do a time jump or anything like that. Like someone's got to take the Iron Throne uh, in the interim. I, I could almost see Sansa and Tyrion acting as uh, as as uh, what's their faces uh, regents, right? Yeah. In that case, yeah. Or they break yeah, up. Or they break up Westeros into like regional governors yeah. and they go back to the Seven Kingdoms. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's more of a. We we break up federalism to a to a more states' rights uh, scenario there. So maybe um maybe maybe the the ultimate throne sitter is uh, Viserys. Maybe Danny's brother comes back 
And I know you guys don't want to take any bets. <laughs> well, what's what I'm wondering with like with Peter Baelish being listed here, like some of the people that are dead and long gone, could they come back? I mean, like yeah, bring Drogon back, like, the, or I mean, or Cal Drago. Well, the, I mean, and like the, some of the White Walkers, like is there if there's something that like can make them alive again? Could it possibly one of them be become it, you know? Yeah, Podrick Podrick wasn't even on that list either. That's kind of messed up. There's a thing in the in the books where people can be brought back from the dead. Um, yeah, what's your face? Stonehold. Ned's wife comes back from the dead, and oh, it's it's even in the TV series yeah, too. The, the, they use what's, the Lord of Light with M- M- Melisandre, uh, or not oh. Melisandre, but um, well, she did bring she brought John back to life. She brought John yeah. back, and but then there was the other guy who kept who brought back the yeah, his friend, uh, the 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 Lord of the Light followers, Baron right. Dodrick Didrick Bomber. God, what is that guy's name? Yeah. Uh, Beric Dondarrion. Yeah. yeah, god dang. That name, yeah, that's right. <laughs> he's actually, he's actually, Beric Dondarrion is listed on this betting sheet at 12,500, at plus 12,500. So. Yeah, he's not going to take the throne, though. Yeah, these are bad odds. Um, <laughs> Gilly at 15,000? 15, 15, Gilly. Uh... <laughs> Gilly would be good. That's one Gilly I would to be rule them that. all. <laughs> yeah. Or or the guy in the library at the Citadel who gave bad looks to Gilly and you know, and Sam. Go ahead. No, it's alright. I was just gonna say, in the books, John and Daenerys are too obvious. But we're talking about the TV series, so one thing we know is that the TV series is going to end differently from the books because George R. R. Martin has said so, and oh, and he really did. Control. Huh? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. really? That's kind of a bummer. Yeah, he says he says it's going to end differently. Well, it makes a kind of sense too because you know lots of characters are alive in the books that are dead in the TV series and vice versa. So the, there's going to have to be some changes to account for that. But might that would be like if Voldemort won. Well, <laughs> not necessarily because it's. I think the broad strokes may be the same, but the details may be different. Okay. And so you could see, I could see a scenario where, because it's a, it's a TV series and there's a certain expectation that HBO says, you know what, let's, they'll win and then John and Daenerys will rule the Westeros. And, and you know, George R. R. Martin's like, yeah, that's not happening in the books. Hmm. So well, I, I can almost see that happening. I don't know. It seems like it would be a bad move because, of course, the big... The big change George R.R. Martin had in the first book was, oh, here's Ned. He's the honorable good guy. You're totally going to have him for the entire series being the honorable good guy. And then he dies. And then he gives you Rob trying mm-hmm. to fulfill that same role. And then he dies. And so it it, it wouldn't follow the themes of the, the, the book to do that. And it worked really well in the TV series because, you know, these were big shocking moments for the people who hadn't read the books and they were big moments for the people who had. But at this point, we're not fulfilling anything for the book readers because they don't know anything. Yeah. And and I don't I they may be afraid to go for the shock at the end and may just go for the okay this is what you all expected. Well, and that's all assuming that I mean the only way that the the show deviates from the book is assuming that the books aren't just effectively, you know, literary vaporware that they actually do come out because you know, we have to get to the next book to even get to the final book. So uh, yeah, I but the books will come out eventually. I don't know. Um, I don't they? know how what yeah. what form they'll take or how many uh, you give me the real hands will take take them on, but they'll come out eventually. I mean, we saw that with the Wheel of Time. Okay, well, speaking of deaths, let's they have odds on who will be the first to die in season eight. So you're on Greyjoy is the favorite at plus two ten. No. Yara, who's in his captivity, is at plus two fifty. Sansa is it at plus three fifty? Theon, who's chasing after Euron, uh, is at plus 750. And then you have Jamie Lannister at plus 1,000. Seems like a little early to, to off him, I think. Yeah. Cersei at plus 1,200. And I would, see, I, I would definitely think her death would come pretty late in the season. And Daenerys at plus 2,500. So do you guys have a favorite? And, you know, obviously there'd be some minor characters like uh, that, could, that could go before that. But is there, you know, a, a, a central character you think that would be the first to go? I think, um, yeah, I mean, Cersei's too obvious to not be it. Um, I mean, someone's got, I, I have a, I feel like they're going to kick off. They owe us for having a two year absence. They owe us something. So I feel, I think they're going to, I feel like they're going to kick off in that episode or sorry, not to begin the episode, but in episode one, someone major is going to die. Um, yeah, I can't talk that much. 
Yeah, it's definitely not going to be Cersei, and it's not going to be I, John. So something my gut is telling me Brienne might oh, yeah, be the first yeah. person to die. <laughs> like she might have some sort of uh, heroic last stand rear guard kind of thing to help some villagers escape or help the army avoid a route or something. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, some sort of self-sacrifice or her her pledge to the Stark family. She sacrifices herself. Um, I think Arya might be a candidate to die pretty early just because her storyline has been kind of odd and that she's been kind of so bent on vengeance. And I don't think that's necessarily like a positive attribute. Um, it's, so it's yeah. not like something that would be rewarded necessarily. And, and so like the, the, the lesson might be like, hey, don't let this stuff eat you up for the rest of your life. And that she might get some kind of comeuppance for that. Um, but I wonder, though, in the trailer, though, she she's shown, like, running from something in the trailer. And I feel like that's, like, an episode four, not, like, an episode one kind mm-hmm. of – you know what I'm saying? It seems like something's at uh, uh, King's Landing that she's running from. Right. I don't know. Well, I, I just have, feel, like, I feel I, like I feel like they do need, like, a gut punch kind of – first oh, killing sure. that, that would yeah. she's kind of a fan favorite and i think that would be that would, that would definitely wreck a lot of people i feel like she's i i kind of think she's going to survive the series you talk yeah, about i do too you talk about um you know moral of the story basically is what you're talking about with she's obsessed with vengeance and she's going to die but this game of thrones doesn't really do moral of the story that's true yeah 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 that's a good point what, what about ed sheeran's character you guys think he'll be back this <laughs> season i want to no. know what <laughs> I want to know if like Tom York from Radiohead's going to pop up in an episode as a King's Landing guard, or we're going to see yeah. <laughs> maybe uh, uh, Adam Levine will show up uh, <laughs> as a wildling uh, or something. I googled, I started to Google who will, and the basically all the results are like who will suddenly Iron Throne, who will kill the Night King, who will win Game of Thrones, and then the very last one is who will be the next Bachelorette. So people have a lot of questions out there, not just about Game of Thrones, <laughs> but Bachelorette. <laughs> Let's uh, we'll kind of wrap up things up by just talk about the ending, like how the series will wrap up. I mean, like like I kind of said, like they they kind of foreshadowed like it won't be a necessarily a happy ending. Like what, knowing that, like what would be a satisfying ending to this show? Because it doesn't sound like we're gonna get like you know Danny and John sitting on the throne with a happy baby, and like Westeros says it's you know they've converted to democracy and modernized and gotten out of the dark <laughs> ages. Like it sounds like. It's probably going to be a really bummer ending but uh you know is there like a satisfying ending at least i mean it doesn't have to be necessarily a happy ending to be somewhat satisfying like you know breaking bad wasn't really a happy ending uh all the way around i mean walter white spoiler alert for anyone that hasn't watched breaking bad but walter white dies at the end but jesse gets away so you can be good for some people but not great for a lot of other people like is there a way to end this series in a satisfying manner um. Yeah. If you put if you put Braun on the throne, <laughs> yeah, there you that go. would be great. Actually, we're good. Yeah, I would love to see Braun uh, at least in some position of power. Oh, before, uh, but I would. Gosh, we'll come back to this one. But I, I want to talk about Clegainbol. Did we get Clegainbol or not? Yes, it's gonna happen. Oh yeah, I think that that that, that might yeah. be that might be penultimate episode material, but it's Ooh, gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. It would okay. be the it would be the battle of the bastards for this season. I think that that they'd have to have some big clash. Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your question. I've got another thing I want to ask as well, so go ahead if you want to answer that question, Jeremy. Uh, I forgot what the question was. Oh, the satisfying oh, ending. Satisfying ending. Yeah. That's actually a really interesting question because I'm not – I'm not because like we, we were just saying, there's no moral of the story when it comes mm-hmm. to Game of Thrones. So it's hard to say, well, the mo- the, you know, the satisfying ending is usually you tell me the, mor- you, the moral of the story that I expected plays out. And that's that's clearly not going to happen here. Um, it's also weird because even though they introduced the idea that there was something weird going on beyond the wall in the prologue of the first book and the, the prologue of the first episode, um, the White Walkers didn't play a role in the story for such a long time that for them to be basically the final thing is just kind of weird. So I it, I almost think like the satisfying ending might be dealing with the White Walkers fairly early in the season and then go back to the infighting uh, for the rest of the season and, and figure something out there. Something They've got to do something. Something's got to be different than how it has been the rest of the series, I think, for it to be satisfying. But I'm not sure 
how. Yeah, I, I'd be honest. Like the the more interesting aspects of the show are the infighting, like the 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 battle for power. And the White Walker existential threat to me is less interesting. Like, yeah, I, I would kind of like them to resolve that quickly, uh, because I imagine they'll fight and then the, the the humans will win, and probably with some some heavy casualties, and, and perhaps we'll lose a few friends. But um, I don't, I'm not really interested in seeing like the, the battle that much, you know. And that's the more traditional fantasy story too, with the the great evil and the chosen mm-hmm. one to defeat them. So it's like, okay. That we've seen that before. This other stuff is is you know unique to this story. I think it's all like maybe not like Two Towers because Two Towers didn't quite just lead up to Fellowship of the Rings didn't just lead up to Two Towers, which was basically one big battle. But I do think that the that the final episode is going to be a big battle, uh, maybe the penultimate. But I, I do think that the whole show has been building up to this big um, because. I really feel like the while there've been the kind of uh, the subplots, which is a little weird to say with some big major plots, but um, all the fighting that's gone on between like the throne and who's gonna um, t- you know watch in the north, and then who's gonna be the the head guard of the Night's Watch, um, have all been kind of put on on a burner on the backside because um, now I mean John has recruited all these people to focus on the impending threat that is um, the White Walkers. So I, I think I got to disagree. I really think the final two episodes are going to be about the White Walkers against the humans. They're going to put aside all this stuff about um, petty things like who uh, is going to you know, rule uh, Westeros and instead consider like, you know, are we going to exist as a, a species, you know, going forward if we don't stop this? So I don't know. I think you guys are all wrong. Well, we also have to consider it took them. It took the White Walkers four years to get uh, to the wall. So, <laughs> yeah. So it may take yeah. them a while to get to where yeah. you know Jon Snow and all. Somehow Jon Snow and Daenerys got like back in fifteen minutes, but uh, the yeah. White Walkers sure. you know, they, they walk really slowly. So I, I, I kind of get that. So the the one thing I also want to say about the White Walkers plotline is not only is that you know the plotline we've seen before, but that's the one we know how it has to end. The White Walkers can't win. They can't because the story is everything that happened up to this point is entirely pointless. If the white walkers win, none of this infighting mattered anything. If the white walkers win. So an interesting point I read, I listened to on the ringer podcast is that there's a possibility that the the white walkers don't win, but that they are redeemed. Because if you remember their origin story, I mean, mm -hmm. it's basically they have a a shard of dragon glass in them, or at least in the the original night King. And if there was somehow a way to reverse that from the, the wood people, um, that maybe they, yeah. these people could all be redeemed because they're not exactly dead. I guess they're like walking uh, magical under a magical spell, and yeah. I don't know what the ramifications of all that would yeah, be. The, but I don't. The White Walkers aren't dead, but they do summon armies of the dead. Right. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. They're not. Are, are they supposed to be humans? The White Walkers were human, I believe. Right, but I'm saying that. Of, I get that. I remember. And I remember the transformation. But uh-huh. is every White Walker, every non-white, um, but all the main guys, are they all? Were they all turned at one point, or how are they all the original? Is what I'm wondering. I like, have they been I alive doubt for it. Ten thousand. Got the power to convert people that way into being powerful allies for your side. I think you would. Uh, yeah. You you would continue using that and yeah, so yeah. that you bring up a good point it might be interesting to see who maybe doesn't just die but who gets turned against their fellows yeah i just want i just i was thinking like okay like them getting turned back to human but i wasn't sure if i mean i knew obviously the original one was human and they turned them the the children of the forest did, but i just thinking that like was everybody you know or all of the head white walkers all you know Human, or well, were were they... the, yeah, there were those those babies that Castor was leaving out for them that yeah, they yeah. were turning and converting, okay. and and I yeah, they never really got back to that, did they? Well, I assume they just joined the army and grew up. I, do do whites grow up? I don't. <laughs> yeah, you don't ever see like a teenage white, yeah, or, you know, so, a teenage one. Yeah, huh. uh, so I don't. Maybe we will this season. Well, I'm yeah, sure well, maybe that's why it took so long because they have kept having to turn around because the teenager <laughs> yeah. forgot like their hairbrush or something. Yeah. <laughs> I will turn this car around. We will not head to the wall. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm sure we'll get a whole like um, off, you know, off sp- uh, a spinoff uh, show about the history of the White Walkers. Yeah. Can I? Uh, can, well, I want to. Can we play a game just really quickly? Sure. Um, 
I am going to list characters, and you guys just off the gut. Don't uh, You have three seconds to respond. Does, does this character die or not? I'm going to go down a list here, All okay? Right. All right. Uh, John? Yep. I, I say yeah. Yeah, he's going to die. Okay. Danny? No. Yep. I say no. Uh, Cersei? Yep. Ooh, that's tough. Uh, I feel like that's what everyone wants, and because it's what everyone wants, we're not going to get a satisfying ending. I, I kind of feel like she survives somehow. Uh, okay. I will say, uh, she, and especially since she's pregnant, right? I thought they revealed that yeah. she was pregnant at the end. So she seems... said she was, but I, I want to say we she revealed that she was lying about that mm. because she was drinking must... wine. Wasn't she drinking wine at the end? Which I don't know. Yeah, if, yeah. I don't know. Like if, I don't know if the people of King's Landing and Westeros know about fetal alcohol. Syndrome. Yeah, well, that was <laughs> she, that, about... that was how she revealed that she was pregnant was by refusing to drink the wine. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, I was thinking, I, like, they didn't care about that in the 70s. I don't think they care about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I will right. say she's not, she's not going to die. I'll, I'll okay. Uh, Jamie. Yeah. He's dead. I think he's going to live. Yeah, me too. I think he's living. I think he's going to be the hand um, of whoever the next one is. Uh, is that years. way pun intended? Ooh, good one. <laughs> yeah, like a metaphorical hand, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Jamie. Or, sorry, t- uh, Tyrion. I th- yeah. Yeah, I think Tyrion survives. Oh, no, 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 this is die, though. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's uh, sorry. No, he will live. Yeah, uh, yeah he'll live. Okay. Uh, varies. Hmm. Gosh, that's tough. Who cares, right? No, yeah. I don't, I don't think. Yeah, I kind of feel like he's not important enough to get to die, but. Um... Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sansa? She, lo- I she think lives. she lives. Yeah, she lives. Okay. Uh, Bran, he lives, right? Can he die? Kind of. I think he's going to turn into a tree. <laughs> I know. Because that's what Brand I mean. That's like, what was happening to he's the worst. Fido. He's <laughs> yeah. one of the worst characters I've ever seen. Anyway. <laughs> he is a bummer. <laughs> he's so such a bad character. Um. All right, uh, Arya. I yeah, I think she dies, and I, I'm probably in the very small small minority there. I think uh, she'll be the Gindry. gut punch. What about Gendry? I think he dies. I think he dies just to clear the the clear path to the throne yeah. for someone else. Okay, now we're getting to kind of the weirder ones. Uh, hot pie. <laughs> I don't think we see him again, so you can assume whichever you prefer. Okay, I you say, think he lives I, a happy life making I, pies? I say he chokes to death on his own pie, and an ironic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, Braun. I think he lives. Braun has to live. I think I want to say the last scene of him is just in a harem drinking wine and saying... Yeah, just thinking. He's and, and, he, and he looks right to the camera castle. and says, well, that certainly was a Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Brienne? She dies. I think she dies. Yeah. Okay. Podrick? Coming to her rescue, maybe? Uh, and he maybe sacrifices himself for her That's and she sacrifices think. herself I, for the Starks? I think, she, I think he might live because she doesn't. Yeah, or yeah, maybe she, she sacrifices oh, yeah. herself for him. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, okay, uh, Theon or Reek. Uh, he's dead. Come I on, he's going up against Euron. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have this theory that the people who've like gotten tortured the most are going to live. Oh yeah, but I feel like so I, feel I like, think, but he was he's 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 going through his redemption story arc, and I feel like he needs a big self sacrifice, and that he would. I think he's going to happily like. I need to do this and kill myself to save Yara or save someone else. I. I can see, I can see that. I can also see a scenario where he keeps trying to get himself killed by doing heroic <laughs> things and failing, and like getting other people killed. He's yeah. such a failure. I like Theon, man. Okay. Um, how about Yara? Uh, I really want hmm. her to live, but I think she's gonna die. I think she. Goes, I don't uh, think. I don't think Euron kills her though. See, I think she'll get rescued okay. by Theon, uh, and then yeah. she'll have a role in the big battle. But baby, I think she could die there. I think that she's not big enough of a character to really survive the battle. Yeah, you don't you, you don't think that they have relations again, Theon and Yara? You think it's just a one time thing? <laughs> what? I think, I think uh, so. uh, yeah, I think um, John and Daenerys have kind of claimed the mantle of the uh, forbidden yeah. uh, <laughs> forbidden love. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I got a few more. You're uh, you're on. Yeah, he's no, he de- he dead. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, ooh, and, and this it's gonna be, it's gonna be in hilarious fashion too. <laughs> so Probably. doing something yeah. very very overconfident. This would be a really easy one, uh, Sam. He lives. I think he lives. Him and Gilly. Of course, Sam lives. Him and Gilly. Uh, yeah, they end up. He ends up getting Some... tenure at uh, at the Citadel. Yeah. 
somebody's got to write the histories and i think i think uh a bunch of the the current maesters are going to end up dead oh yeah okay um like or at the ignoring end of, the threat like at the end of oh, like return yeah. of the king well, at least in the movie, they left off the whole thing where, like, they sack the Shire. Like, they're going to sack the, the Citadel, basically. Is that what you think? I, I don't know. I don't know exactly how it'll happen. I just, uh, maybe, you know, there will be an uprising. Any, uh, There could be any kind number of ways where they end up dead. I just think they're all going to die, and, and Sam's going to have to lead the Maesters. Okay. Uh, uh, Gilly, I think we said she lives. Um, ooh, how about Tormund? Gosh, he's another one I really want to live, but I think he's going to die. He, I could see him, if, if Brienne dies, I could see him dying at her side because he's like, I want you to love me. And she's like, I can't. And then, man. See, I think we're going to get a scene where she finally reciprocates his affection yeah. and then he dies. You think so? Because <laughs> yeah. they were, they were doing, they <laughs> had her and the hound making eyes at each other. Yeah, he's, they're going to go into battle. She's going to kiss him and then he's going to go off and die. <laughs> um, it, is this guy even alive? Is Ed still alive? Yeah, he's the current leader of the oh, um, yeah the the Night's black Watch. folks or, the Night's yeah, Watch, yeah yeah okay oh, I totally forgot about that uh, I don't care about Ed how about Davos yeah he's got a sure enough I think he'll live huh? I think I think you need his kind of wise uh, uh, thinking process for whoever does end up ruling I think he's got to live for that he's gonna rule okay. the onions <laughs> uh, how about uh, Mel Melisandre. No, she's dead. Is she? She's not. She she departed. Like she took off, right? Or is she still with she's traveling with them? Yeah, I think well, I that's the last she saw is. Yeah, she kind of comes just, and goes gonna, as she pleases. She's supposed to return to Westeros. Or yeah, uh, yeah. Hmm. I feel like she'll. The Lord of Light will finally bite her in the ass, and she'll have some sort of awful ending. Yeah, they kind of. They. I mean. They really, I don't. They really just let the uh, whole. She's a five thousand year old person. Kind of just. They never picked that back up anywhere, which would have been interesting. Yeah, to hear well, more they, about they may. Maybe she that runs out and she dies because she's five thousand yeah. years old. Yeah. Um. The mountain. He's going down. We're all aware of that, yeah, right? Yeah. He's, he's gonna die. There's almost okay. So the next one almost was certainly the at the hands of the hound, right? Yeah. 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 I was gonna say the hound dies, but now I think he might end up being the captain of the king's guard at the end. I think he, I think he does survive, but I think he just wanders off into the, into the you know valley to have a farm, small farm somewhere. Because I think he's, I think he's done with all this. He's realized, right. and he's I only doing this because of redemption. He wouldn't go. He, would he go join the Night's Watch? Uh, I guess you can no. you can argue if there's even going to be a Night's Watch. But yeah, whatever. I don't. I, I'm not even convinced there's going to be a Night's Watch when we're done. Okay, but it, let's say there is. Do you think? It, I think that would be because, like now, I don't. I wouldn't say he's picked up religion, but when he went and joined that, you know, convent, whatever it was. Uh, for I suspect. I just like I said. I think if he lives, he'll end up with the king's guard. I think he'll he'll yeah. have some sort of uh, reason that there's a calling for him to be there. I don't know yeah. if it'll be like a like. For example, if Sansa ends up being the ruler of Westeros, you know, he was the only king's guard who was ever nice to her. Well, she was with Joffrey in King's Landing. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I could see that kind of working out that way. Um, if, if Grayscale couldn't kill him, can Jorah be killed at all? His heart can be broken by uh, Daenerys. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but uh, yeah, I feel like, I think he's going to get the King's Landing gig at the end of it. But I don't know. Like, I think, he, he, he could be another candidate for self-sacrifice. Yeah, I think he, I think when he realizes he can't have Danny, he's going to go kill him, get himself killed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's gonna sacrifice himself doing something heroic. Um, Grey Worm, he died. I think he dies. No, yeah, probably. I think Grey Worm lives. Grey Worm. Oh, uh, really? Uh, yeah, uh, Missandei. Yeah, Missandei. I think they have a. They go off and have a family together. Huh. Oh, yeah. That's pretty. Just, that could uh, happen, I guess. Weird. He doesn't have genitals, right? right? Oh, that's true. That would be quite an impediment. Like, there's, there's <laughs> gonna be lots of orphans. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That can be a great uh, adoptive parent. I, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. I do. I do like the idea of them like going off together. Um, and they did have a relationship. I mean, they had a they had a love scene. Um, uh, but and yeah, I was thinking like, wait a second. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, okay, how about ooh, how about a weird one? Uh, Leanna, Leanna Mormont, little girl. Oh, she lives. Yeah, I think so. I mean, she they they basically expanded her role because they loved her so much. They're not gonna kill her now. Yeah. Yeah, she'll do something like crazy awesome 
for like a little girl and uh, do something. Yeah, and that would be like a real cool moment, I think. So yeah, I think she, I think she survives. Maybe she takes over okay. Winterfell. And it's not like we haven't lost enough Mormons. If we kill any more, they're gonna just vanish. <laughs> yeah, save the Mormons. Uh, so and so, we, no one cares about Dario. No one cares about. I love. <laughs> Which, wait, Dario. There's two of them. Oh yeah, uh, Naharis. Dario Naharis. Right? I know why oh, they oh, have two actors play. <laughs> yeah. Oh. You're thinking of they're the, both gonna die. They'll both they'll both look at each other. And go. Who are you? Yeah. And yeah. then the White Walkers will just run over them. Um. Let's see. I like Jakina. Jack. Oh my God. Uh, Hagar. Jay Hagar. However you say his first name. Uh, Jackie. Yeah. Um. Mira. Who really cares about Mira? How, oh, final one. I think they're they're off on a different continent and they'll just stay there and be safe. Who, Mira? Uh, Jockin. Oh, okay. Who is yeah, Mira? Yeah. I've forgotten who Mira is. Um, she was with she, her brother. Di- I don't. Know. Uh, she's oh, the oh, sister. Oh, of she was the the. Uh, I remember now. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm lost. Who's she? Who is she? She was she's um, the sister of Jojen. Um, went with Bran yeah. past the yeah. wall. Oh and yeah, 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 survivor to come back. Yeah. Okay. She died, right? Uh, no, no, she's alive. Jojen dies. Oh, okay, gotcha, I gotcha. And then she she's mad because Bran doesn't love her or something, so she stormed off. Right, yeah, and she left. Yeah, or what you had, back, yeah. teenage angst. Yeah, you know? he was very being very emo. I mean, she I was being very emo. She's really much better off without Bran anyway. Right. But <laughs> yeah, plenty of fish in the sea, sister. Okay, final two. Um, Kyburn absolutely dies. Right, we're we're, we're all gonna. Go oh ahead. yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. He's dying for sure. Um, and then final one, the one that I, I, I man, I, I can't believe nobody's talked about this. How about uh, Robin Aaron? Who's that again? Robin. Robin. Didn't he? <laughs> I thought he was already dead. No, I don't. No way. He's still alive. Rob. Oh, so the oh, the little boy at Tully, the weak, the weak one at Tully. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He, yeah. How did he, he survive uh, this long? He's so weak. Yeah, I know. Friend. Yeah, he's still alive. He can't. He can't shoot an arrow. Uh, <laughs> but he's. He's alive, man. I just he was the last person on this list. I'm like, oh god, I forgot he's still alive. That's right. <laughs> um, he, he he's we're not even gonna see him, so I'm just gonna assume he threw himself out the moon door. Okay, good. <laughs> uh huh. Okay. Yeah, cool. I forgot about him. That's all I got. Okay. Well, uh yeah, that's uh that's an inter- interesting list. Man, there's a lot of characters. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And they're all hard names. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the ones that are still alive now, right. seven seasons later. Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a rich tapestry that George R. R. Martin has uh, has built. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, we'll be tuning in Sunday night, and uh, you know, if you guys, hopefully, you'll be watching too, and and maybe uh, we'll we'll use this uh, podcast as maybe a, a thread for those people that want to talk about it without worrying about spoilers and. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe we'll have another discussion later on in the year after all our favorite characters have died. But uh, guys, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Uh, hopefully we won't see any more 10-game losing streaks uh, or any more uh, of our favorite Game of Thrones characters die. Uh, Jeremy, thanks so much for, for revealing your real name and for being on the show tonight. Thank you for having me. It was very fun. <laughs> and Sean... Here- Oh, go I ahead. was just thinking it's like it's like on um, Tool Time where Wilson they didn't expose they didn't show Wilson's face to the final episode. <laughs> yeah. Wait, is this the final podcast? <laughs> yep, it is. That's that's the big that's the big surprise. Like you know when yeah. uh, Ned Stark gets gets his head chopped off, that's the big uh, surprise for our season. But uh, I got John. really confused and thought you meant Ned Yost for a second. Yeah, <laughs> Ned Yost. So he manages like he lost his head sometimes. <laughs> Sean, thanks so much for being on the show tonight, and why don't you send us out with our new yeah. catchphrase. Uh, apologies, Leslie Escobar, but we're uh, all out of time. Woo!